0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are back. Good to be here. Patrick, Thanks, episode Jerry. number 126 being recorded as we speak, and we have a full show. It's an understatement. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Gentleman's Dojo. Yes. Boy, we are packed solid today, Patrick, so let's get to it. Yeah, let's do it. It's crowded in
1: here with talent and let's people. Let's not goof around. We have yeah. so
0: much going on. Our friend and co-host, Steve Byrne, is currently in Las Vegas. He's going to be calling in shortly. He's He's going to be calling in in? shortly, hopefully. He is playing at the new Comedy Cellar, which is at the Rio Hotel and Suites in downtown Las Vegas. That's right. He will be there running his new hour special. Steve Byrne
1: is half Korean, half comedian. That that is true. Half Irish. Irish. He's
0: going to be running his new hour special, which is going to be taping later this year. Not sure of what network, but he's there. But instead of Steve being here in studio, and hopefully he'll call up later, as we're here, uh, we have so much going on. First of all, we have a co-host in yeah. who was just finishing up his own podcast yeah. and decided to stay with us because of our guest.
1: Yeah, it's he, one of the benefits. Talent is just walking through the just halls. Walking and you walking all just pick, over the place. Yeah.
0: I just saw Chris Pratt out there. Yeah. It's crazy. So it's, uh, he <laughs> is here and going to join us for a little yeah. bit uh, until he has to bounce. But he yeah. hosts a very popular podcaster on the All Things Comedy Network. It's called Puck Off with Jill Bartnick. Yes, well, I'm also
1: Korean. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Smith hosts uh, a
0: very popular podcast, which he just finished doing yeah. before. It's we actually ran more into
1: popular it. than hockey itself. It is very it is. true. It's, yeah, <laughs> in fact,
2: they've canceled the playoffs just to play our uh, rerun podcast.
0: Hosts that. puck off. Yep. Not only that, but he hosts one of the most popular radio shows Sunday nights, yep. KLOS yep. here in Los Angeles.
2: Well, it's the number one uh, show on that uh, station. At that hour. <laughs> we'll say his name at the end of the episode. For people yeah.
0: for, for people who break down in the Culver City area, you can get the, the signal yeah. right in.
2: I'm but, on the airport parking channel. Yeah, perfect. But not uh, only that. Yeah. The B-Lot, by the way, is full.
0: This guy hosts every show in Los Angeles. If you see him at the Laugh Factory, he's also at the Ice House, he's also at the Comedy Magic Club. Please welcome our co-host, for as long as he's available to stay, Fraser Smith, yeah. everybody. Well, thank you, guys. Yes.
2: Thank you. I got to yes. go. That's right. it. That's Great. it? Good night. You took all that
1: time up, Fraser. Yeah. I wanted your my intro. I had to get right, the intro. There, there it is. Well, Wait, He's also a Michigander like you, half that, is, half true. Right, that bro. is true. Right, so true. Wolverines, so. come on. Yeah, yeah. not Road the blue. not uh, the uh, basketball team, but yeah.
0: the reason Frazier decided to stay was because our guest, who I was so excited about having yeah. on, very excited. Uh, not only did he agree to do this, he's a very busy man. He has his own successful podcast called Industry Standard, and this guy yeah. is getting major celebrities on that podcast: John Doctor Phil. Dr. Yeah. Phil's doing pot. I didn't realize that that was even possible. You know, possible. Dr.
2: Phil was asking him for advice.
0: <laughs> but here's what's great about our guest today. He has launched so many comedy careers yeah. here yeah. in L.A. and New York, including our very own lovable Steve Byrne. But just to name a few, Dave Chappelle, Whitney Cummings, Bill Bellamy, Jay Moore, Wanda Sykes. He has brokered over 100 TV deals. This guy, which is I absolutely love, a Grammy and Emmy-nominated TV film record producer, this guy has done it all. The resume of this gentleman is amazingly Some huge. Some
2: people say he invented show business. <laughs> he invented show business.
0: Yeah. And two of his kind clients. Of like a
1: Robert Evans of comedy. Two right? of kind his clients of, like, that
0: he still represents, they're going to be doing their podcast yeah. here. That's in talks. Yeah. Adam Ray and Brad Williams. Yeah, they're going to be coming over to the All Things Comedy Network. But enough about this. We're eight minutes in. We haven't even announced our guest yet. Yeah. How about a round of applause for the very talented, the very lovable. The very over the top, nice and genuine Barry Cat. Yeah, everybody. yes. There it is. All Come right. on, Mr. Show Business. There it is. I can't believe it. This wow. Is unbelievable. Well, welcome, first of all. <laughs> he
3: is the industry I, standard. I thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I I can't believe that the studio here is, is absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, There's incredible been incredible people working here. Uh, Have tremendous. you met Emma? Emma's fantastic. Yeah. I have a bun cake here yes. or something. I haven't had a bun cake since uh, Falco had a hit on the radio. <laughs> Rock Me
0: day. Another you know client, by the way, of his
2: I dropped him as soon as the uh, album dropped. <laughs> and I got a t-shirt that will probably fit my leg. <laughs> we yeah. we want
0: you. We would love it if you could get a picture wearing the t-shirt, eating the bun cake.
2: Or wearing the bun cake and eating the Either t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, whatever whatever There's works
0: enough. for you. We first of all you are on Frazier's KLOS radio show every Sunday night. You come on, talk about comedy, you give people a little inspiration about comedy, make people feel good. I got to tell you, I have often been a guest on Frazier's show. And as I'm driving in, the crazy thing is you are on right before me. And I will wait in the parking lot until your segment is over with because I love hearing your stories about comedy. You've been around forever. Back in Boston, you started comedy. You used to be a stand-up. Let's let's go way back. I also want. There's so many things that we need to tackle. I also wanted to get into unfortunate news that Mitzi Shore passed away today. So uh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, but let's that's let, early let's early this morning. Yeah, let's oh, yeah. back up a little bit. Talk about how you got here, your route into L.A. You were in Boston, starting to do stand up, and then how you led into moving here to L.A.
3: Yeah, it's. A, I want to give you the Reader's Digest version, the smaller version, the condensed because. We'll be here forever. We'll but, take it. But first of all, I just want to say I'm I'm really grateful that you had me on. It means a lot. And that story you told where you wait in the car, that that just, you know, those are the kind of things, like when you do your podcast and somebody comes up to you and, and says something like that, it, it lets you know that you're on the right path. And for me, with the podcast, uh, everybody told me not to do the Industry Standard podcast because... I know where all the bodies are buried yeah. and they were worried that I would say certain things and they were worried that things would get out. They were worried that my clients would be upset because I was on doing a podcast. They were worried that I would my podcast would be better than the client's podcast. and But I felt like when you're doing things for a client, like let's say you represent somebody and they get Saturday Night Live, it's an amazing feeling when that happens. It's happened to me like, you know, four or five different times. And I've had somebody host twice. And you sit back on the couch at your house and you're really excited and you are you feel great about it, but you realize you've only helped one person. You've only done something that inspired one person. Yes, NBC benefits from how many episodes they do and Lauren Michaels, it, I guess it helps him and Marcy. and But for the most part, you don't get to really inspire a lot of people and I take these meetings with these network presidents and studio heads and I get in my car and I'd be like I can't believe I was the only one to hear that and so and I thought if I could bring that and Doug Herzog who was then the president of Viacom Entertainment Comedy Central and Spike and he was the first one once you get one you, you normally can get many and i've done many network presidents and studio heads and dr phil is the only podcast i think he ever did wow ted sarandos the president of netflix uh i think he's only done only one other podcast but how i got into it uh, is that uh, my dad passed away when i was four and when i was a teenager i started exploring in the basement like most kids do and i pried open an old file cabinet And unbelievably, I found all these musty old albums that were all black artists Diana Ross, Shirley Bassey, The Supremes, Nat King Cole, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, they had good taste. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in this white town and I'm searching through, like, what's going on? Like, am I, you know, am I from another community? And there were three albums in there with white artists and they were comedy albums. It was Smothers Brothers, uh, Lobsters Walk Sideways and Crabs Walk Straight, the one where he's banging the guitar (laughs) over his head. (laughs) Jonathan Winters, The Comedy and Tragedy album, and The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart. Oh, a classic. And so I learned, well I didn't know what to do because we didn't have a record player that worked and we were very poor and so I your for your audience that's a little older back in the day when you got groceries they'd put one green stamp for every dollar that you spent they were called S&H green stamps yeah. and you'd paste them and you'd put them into a book and then they'd be worth a certain amount so I pasted like 24 books and I got one of those fold down record players Oh wow and so I listened to a lot of the music you know but the comedy spoke to me and Bob Newhart particularly and I memorized the driving instructor routine, yeah. and I started doing it for high school talent shows in front of a thousand people. And I realized something that was really strange was that I I was getting more laughs than Bob did on the <laughs> album. <laughs> and it, it was like it let <laughs> so me, great. it let yeah. me know that maybe I should be doing something. But then I realized later on when I heard the story of how Bob got the record they called him at Warner Brothers and asked him to do the uh, record and in classic Bob Newhart stutter step form, he's like, um, I, 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 uh, I, I'm not a, a st- st- stand-up comic, I'm, I'm a guy who does sketches on radio and TV. Doesn't matter, Bob, find a venue record your <laughs> album and do it. So he found this little like 100 seat room where he recorded these sketches, uh, I'll call them sketches, And that record was Warner Brothers Records' first gold record in history in 1959. It went
2: to number one, and he was living in his parents' basement.
3: Incredible.
2: We've had two basement references so far. (laughs) And he was in his basement, and he didn't know that his record was number one. Yeah, and 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 for those of you who— His mom yelled down, hey, Bob— (laughs) <laughs> You're number one.
3: And for those in your audience who don't really know Bob Newhart, it the kind of comedy that he did was, I'll call it dialogue humor, where he created a scene, but he never played characters. He did his own voice for each person he was he was imitating. It was very strange. It was kind of like the closest thing I could say is if your audience YouTubes uh, Ellen DeGeneres' first Tonight Show... Where she did a three-minute bit called "Conversations with God," and if you watch that, that's the kind of comedy he did. There was no; she's not imitating God's voice, and so that's what Bob would do. And he, his comedy was it, it wasn't really that it wasn't really that gut-bustingly funny. It was just like titters, you know. And that's the kind of comedy that it was back then. That was the it,
2: name of his second
3: album. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: titters. <laughs> But <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. It was singles. It was hitting, yeah. hitting little singles. Jim Gaffigan yeah. talks about yeah, that. It's, yeah, it,
3: it, that's so right. Yeah. What you said, it's like, you know, in comedy today, if you're an artist or you're a comedian, you're, if you hit singles, you're not getting on. It's like you have to figure out how to hit home runs all the time. And if you don't, there's somebody else who's going to pass you. And that's why, that's
2: why I always bunt.
3: <laughs> and, and that's why when I sit across from Frazier, he's very self-deprecating. He's always self-deprecating. But the fact is, is that he works everywhere. He opens for Dr. Ken. He opens for Tim Allen. It's not just relationships. You know, relationships are great. And people will have you around, but you have to deliver you have to deliver every time you go on and well and he, that's what I do I deliver their laundry <laughs> <laughs> that's why I get tell that work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway so that's how I got into it so then I went to Boston Boston University and then I, I this is a really interesting story like there was a blizzard in 1978 this is how long ago it was and it was a federal emergency And I'm in Kenmore Square, if your audience is familiar with Boston, there's the three streets that come off of Kenmore Square. There's Commonwealth Avenue where BU and BC is. There's Beacon Street where all the women's colleges are, Simmons and all that. And then there's Brookline Avenue where Fenway Park is. And I'm standing there and there's nothing, there is no one except for people walking, no cars, nothing. It's it's midnight on a Saturday and I hear laughter. And I look over and ironically, the place is still there today, it was a brownstone pub called Crossroads. And I walked up the stairs as the laughter was on, and as you're walking up the stairs you know how you look at stairs until you get to a certain point, you look at the feet and you see somebody on stage. And there was a guy on stage who looked like a young Larry from the Three Stooges. And he has his foot on a chair and he's strumming a guitar. And I'll never forget this, and this will probably be recognizable to your audience. He was singing and talking. Rachel, my dear, oh, how I loved her. (laughs) Having sex with Rachel was amazing. It was like a concert. Frisbees would be flying around the room. Beach balls would be hitting me in the head. And every time Rachel wanted more, she'd light a match. (laughs) (laughs) And then he just looked up and he went. thanks (laughs) and he just walked off the stage the crowds applauding walked past me and i'm like looking around like and i run down the stairs and like a movie i look both ways gone oh wow i run upstairs i asked the manager who was that who was it they said that was stephen wright so stephen wright was the first stand-up comedian Wow, I ever saw and, that, and Barry thought
2: to himself Right then He goes That's going to be The first guy to leave me
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Actually well, I thought to myself This story wasn't In the basement I let
1: you down oh, Come yeah, on I We need yeah, another it would have, Basement just, reference that, what, a, what, but what, a what a perfect guy to start Indoctrination out with. Yeah I mean Is there a better Inspirational no. start I mean that's Or a better guy. comic Than Stephen oh, Wright it's still mean, That's still around know, That's still relevant But
3: this is how The fascination of comedy To me isn't it There's a metaphor For life And everything we deal with So that's the most Positive thing right it's incredible i'm like i'm so inspired i asked the manager is there an open mic night here <clears throat> and they say monday night you can come by monday night so this is the other side of the story so i prepare my bob newhart routine and i go there and i do it and i'm but i'm about to be introduced and there's this huge host his name is ross the taxi driver of bickford And he's doing all these interesting jokes that seem familiar to me, but I'm not really in the comedy business. He's killing. And then he says, this next guy, I've never met him. Uh, He's uh, not funny, and he's hung like a buffalo. Please welcome. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, He is hung like a buffalo, and he's not funny. And look at this guy. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Anyway, let's bring him on, Barry Cat. So he eviscerated me before I went on. So I go on, I make a joke about him and uh, to get a laugh, and then I do the Bob Newhart routine. I set it up, and again, it kills. And I'm like, oh, man, this is unbelievable. It's my first time Boston's killing. I'm walking out. I feel this person running after me, like down by the stairs, and it's him, Ross Bickford. And he said, cats, where'd you come from, man? That was unbelievable. That was incredible. Uh, Will you come back next week? I'm like, yeah, I'd I'd love to come back next week. He said, listen, let me give you some advice, okay? When you're doing somebody else's routine, (laughs) okay? Don't mention their name. Just take the fucking bit and steal it.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. And use it as your own. He wow. knew immediately. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, then you, you should have said to him, well,
3: I am hung like a buffalo.
2: <laughs>
1: I didn't know Doesn't buffaloes me... were, were, buffaloes yeah. known to have. I didn't know that. Know that. Be that well either. in doubt. I don't know.
3: Yeah. I'm hung like a female buffalo. Right. <laughs> so is. did you
0: go back the following week? What happened after that? Yeah.
3: So I didn't go back and I started writing my own material and then I went to the clubs and then, uh, uh, an incredible comic in Boston named Chance Langton saw me and offered me a job uh, as a doorman at this comedy club at Play It Again, Sam's, and and then a few months later, he was uh, unceremoniously taken out of that job, and I was given the job Booking and running comedy in Boston during the boom when I was 20 oh years old. How what far was his famous line? Give chance a piece. That's right.
0: <laughs> how how far were you into stand up at that point? Like, how many sets had you done before they're giving you this great opportunity?
3: I'd probably maybe done 20 sets.
0: Wow. And they're giving you this gift of running and joining the club.
3: Yeah. And I had Bob Goldthwaite on Wednesdays. I had Dana Gould on Thursdays. I had. Um, who else? I had Dennis Leary,
2: but no um, eventual stars. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny Clark on Saturdays oh, and wow.
3: Anthony Clark on Sundays, oh, my and then God. Stephen Wright and Paula Poundstone and Jonathan Katz. And well, no of- wonder
2: you're number one. Did you yeah. realize how do you
0: top that
1: lineup? It's like Lorne Michaels or like George Martin or Brian Epstein. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the core of all. Barry, of- did
0: you realize though, like how significant that job was to a 20 year old Barry yeah. Katz? Did you realize like how important it was, or you just took it as, hey, I'm just having fun, I'm getting to do stand-up and meeting people, but did you understand how important that job was? I
3: didn't understand how important it was until something happened that I'll never forget. There was a great comedian in Boston. He would sell out three shows on a Friday at Nick's Comedy Stop. It was 1,200 people he would sell out on a Friday, and he was a local comedian. Can I guess, Don Gavin? close Steve Sweeney, Sweeney. Oh, Steve, yeah. and Steve would do characters of the area of Boston you know wicked Piss, it's retarded yeah. and he would just have all these different dialects from see Boston again for your audience if you've never been it has this radius of towns which you know how like the South has its own dialect but there's like 20 dialects within a 30-mile radius of Boston And he would do that. So he came. I invited him to come to the club and do a set. And I would always get people to come. I don't know why. They didn't get him wire. And he came and he killed. He did a great set. And then in between shows when people are walking out, I go to the dressing room by where people are walking out. And his pants are around his ankles. And he's naked from the waist down. And people are walking out. And I'm like, Steve come into the dressing room now I'm a, am 20 years old he is he is the he is a god in Boston and I take him by his arm and I drag him down to the dressing room and I close the door and I say listen man I don't care if you're the biggest star in the world or if you're the smallest star in the world don't disrespect me and don't res- disrespect this place I'm trying to do something great here and I don't want to have you here ever again if you can't make a presentation that's going to work for this club and i think he respected wow yeah and uh and then after that i realized the significance because he was coming down but he was trying to stake his territory in a way now he might have been he might have been doing drinking i don't know well you
2: should have said something like well if you drop your pants don't mention louis (laughs) ck
0: Because, okay. <laughs> that came from you, Frish. I'm yeah. sorry. Good, what's the edit mark? <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so what... What?
3: Louis C.K. was my first client. That was his
1: right? first was. client. That's incredible.
0: Yeah. Wow. How does that come to be? What? What? What's the...
3: What happened was, is that I wasn't managing. I was just running this comedy club, and then I realized that I could do more, and I started selling these one-nighters and comedy clubs all over New England. And before I knew it, from my basement in Alston, Massachusetts, Frazier, I had like over 50 different comedy rooms and comedy clubs that I was booking. It was crazy.
0: Are you making money? Is its is it, you're making a good living booking 50 rooms? I mean.
3: Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm and, not.
1: And the timing on this. I, can't, I mean, that's the late 70s with all these great acts. Yeah, it,
3: it was like the early 80s. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not killing it, but I would say that probably through everything, maybe a hundred thousand, a hundred and. Twenty, twenty-five, hundred and fifty thousand, maybe if I'm lucky, through all these different gigs and whatever, and so that's how it it really began and how it started in that realm.
0: But are comics kissing your ass to get part of that fifty room package? Like, are they? Because obviously, like today, it's you know, you know, obviously there's wasn't email back then, but like I would assume comics are just all over it because now it opens up. I could work fifty of Barry's rooms if I. Get in with him and he likes what I do.
3: Yeah, I mean, they were, they wanted to work in those rooms and they were, uh, they were nice. I'm still calling him
2: (laughs) (laughs) for those (laughs) rooms that have gone under
0: from that (laughs) time period. They're
2: not (laughs) there anymore, but.
3: but, but back then, like, I would do showcases and I wasn't really managing. And then I remember I had Dennis Leary on Thursdays and I remember his manager came to Boston and his manager at the time was Jason Solomon. And, um, I just, I never saw or heard of a manager before, and I was fascinated by it. And so I drove to New York to meet him. I'll never forget this, I drove to New York, uh, this is one of the first times I went to New York, and he said, my office is on 57th and Broadway. And I said, oh great, my mother always told me that was the area to be. And I'm looking for the address in my car, and it's all these residential uh, brownstone apartment buildings. and. And I find it, and I ring the buzzer, and he says, come up, and I'm walking up the stairs, walking up the stairs, and it's like a fourth floor walk up, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm knocking on the door, and there's no company name on the thing, you know, and, and, and so he opens the door, and it opens up into his living room. And sitting on his couch as a comedian, you might remember Roger Cabler, an impressionist. I know
2: Roger, yeah.
3: And he was signing a contract. He was one of the elves. Yeah, he was signing a contract (laughs) with Jason Solomon for management. (laughs) I I missed that. I'm sorry. I did, too. I did, too. and And so, but he taught me about management. He taught me about headshots and what to do and the submissions and everything like that. And I learned a lot from him. And so I thought, well, I want to manage. And Louis CK was a guy who was 18; he just turned 18, and there was something really special about him. And uh, <clears throat> I loved him, and I loved his energy, and I loved his drive. He always was writing. He was one of the first guys to have, you know, it's interesting. I just was in this um, the Bel Air Hotel. I'm not; I wasn't there because I'm having it, like expensive meals. I was just No, there. he's gotta deal with them. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to show you something and the, the audience can't see it. But I was in this place and it had the um this photo and it reminded me of Louis C. K. Of Steve Jobs holding oh, that wow. first, you know, square oh. like beige computer um of what it was if they could ever get it. And and so Louis had the first one of those. He was always creating, always doing things. And that's why, you know, and I'm getting off on a tangent, but, you know, the thing that happened to him, and I say that happened to him, and that's probably the wrong choice of words, and Frazier's going to try to come in with a no, joke. No, I'm but not, <laughs> not going to let him do it. So <laughs> I won't do that. And the thing that is is lost, I think, sometimes, and and everybody has an opinion on things, and I'm not, what, what happened was horrible to those women and louie knows it and but what's weird is like y- y- you don't take into account the whole life of somebody and their whole life what they're like as a father what they're like as a a son you know what they're like with their friends what they're the community they've created for so many different people and so many jobs that they've created for people we oftentimes identify with the the mistake that somebody makes and how many hours did he how many minutes or hours happened making that mistake versus how many hours of community and, and greatness that he brought towards his family and his friends and the comedy community so it's really hard it's not being disingenuous to the people who were damaged and hurt it's horrible and no one can take that away and I'm not sympathizing with Louis and I'm not but I'm just saying that it's 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 so weird you know you can make mistakes now granted somebody might get on the radio or call up or and say well somebody has a great life and then they you know get drunk one night and they kill somebody you know obviously there's different levels of things that happen but I just think that I think that Louis will be back and I think you know maybe if he takes a couple of years or something and just takes it easy I think people will embrace him and 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 know that he's one of the greatest ever. And to me, I was honored to represent him as my first client. And How about uh, the
2: Christmas story?
3: You want me to tell that? Yeah.
0: By the way, I just want to say this really quick. Last week, Patrick and I, one of our guests speaking to the Louis story, last week we had on an author who wrote a book called Shame Nation. Her name was Sue Chef, And Sue talked about how people have these oops moments. Now, I'm not comparing... What what these moments are to what Louie did, but somehow people will get caught and they're videotaped going off on a tirade in an airplane, and all of a sudden that will go viral. They'll lose their job. They're just ousted for a long time. You know, there's the internet, so many the, the of the those. Bullying, yeah, so many of those moments over and over again. So we, we talked to her about this for a long time. How you have those moments, and you know, obviously Louis was a different situation, but you know, it it, it doesn't take into account a lot of things. So that's that. It's interesting yeah. that. You, well, know you bring that up, and
1: louis is is unique as far as like he can make a comeback some of these people that are doing these things out there on different levels uh they can't come back you know like yeah obviously louis will be know, back but, but yeah. he will be back That's, when
0: you yeah. were representing louis were you also still doing stand-up or you had kind of distanced yourself from performing as i well?
3: might have hosted some shows okay. and things like that but nothing really that major
1: but so refreshing to hear that you you did stand up maybe that helped have the eye for oh yeah i think i'm the only
3: manager that ever has done stand-up and i i i was a great host like frazier um and any comic will tell you even if they uh shit on my comedy they'll tell (laughs) you that i was always a great host because i i had this thing that i did and i have a horrible memory of of faces and names i don't know how i made it happen in the shows. But I would always, like if I, let's say I was hosting, I'd do 10 minutes and i talk to the audience and I'd always have my Rolodex of things that I'd written for these things. And, and let's say I'd talk to him and, you know, and, and I'd say, you know, the, for whatever reason, the guy with the fl- flannel shirt uh, from Burlington Coat Factory, um, the guy with the headphones on for no apparent reason, the people that hate me. And then, and then, and then after, like, let's say Louis CK was the first guy on, and he'd say, Thank you, good night, and there'd be the applause. And I'd get up there, Louis CK, let him know. The guy from the coat factory, the guy wearing the <laughs> headphones, the people who hate me. And then I'd talk to somebody else. And then by the end of the show, I every tag there'd be like 20 tags that, and that's how I hosted the shows. But uh, Fraser's alluding to the story to let you know the kind of person that Louis was, and I don't mean to bring down the room, but. One of the things that changed my life uh, was I was married during the boom and my wife passed away after eight months of being married and she was a, a big part of the community. And, and one of the things that's hard when something bad happens to you, which people don't realize, is the negative positive. So you get out, you walk out in the world and friends hug you and they hug you and they're like, Barry, is there anything I can do? Are you okay? Okay. Um, I'm there for you, and it feels good, but then you go someplace else, and there's the next person, and the next person, and every place you go is the reminder. So I essentially just shut myself in for like six months. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't go to the club. I had somebody else do it. I I just didn't want to be around people because it was a reminder of what happened. And you talk about the bookings. I would be calling people to book them because it made me feel better. And I'd get on the phone with let's say, let's say like Chance Langton. I'd say, Chance, I got six gigs for you here and he's like, Barry, how are you? Are you okay? I'm like, Yeah, I'm good. Let me just book you in these gigs. Barry, I don't really feel comfortable to you know, let's you don't have to do business with me. Let's No, I really want to. It's making me feel good. So that's what I would do. So Louie knew that I was being a shut-in. And I had one of those answering machines, you know, the old ones where you heard the voice coming through the answering machine? Yeah, with the tape, the and, cassette yeah, tape, And you sure. didn't have to answer if you didn't want to answer. And I just would never answer. And he would call, like, every day. Barry, come on, let's go. Let's, come on, come on. And I just wouldn't do it. And, and Christmas time, he called me, like, every hour. And I'm Jewish, but still, he was having... And he called me like... How old are you at this time? I'm probably 26, and he's like probably 18. And he keeps calling, and it keeps going and going, and it's like 5 o'clock. He's called like 20 times. Finally, I just pick up the phone. I'm like, Louie, what is it? What do you need? Is there something? He's like, cats, get out of bed. Get in your car and come to my house for Christmas dinner. There's a seat for you. My mom cooked for you, my family's here, and I want you here. Well, I don't really feel like it. Barry, if you don't get in your car and get over here, I'm going to drive over there, and I'm going to drag you out of your house. You have a choice. And so I got in my car, I drove over there. There was a seat at the table. They had presents for me, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life, and he created that for me, and that's the kind of person that I know Louis C.K. to be.
0: And and
3: I'll never forget
0: that. Well, it is crazy. That, we, that we, is we, t- strong love. We, That's we, pretty we, great. we talk about this a lot. No matter what this business offers you, whether you're at the lower end, higher end, wherever wherever you are in the comedy reign, the comedy spectrum, there's no better feeling than walking into a club, walking into the Improv, Laugh Factory, wherever that is, and just seeing that group of comics that you know, obviously, everybody they'll see somebody who gets fouled. They'll be like, "What the hell, did that guy got it for?" But like, when you walk in and there's that camaraderie of just everybody, where it's us against them, there's no better feeling. I mean, that to me is why I do it. I mean, that you can walk in and have this great feeling. There is a
2: family feel to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There really is. Although I gotta say, Barry also wouldn't answer the answering machine when Bob Newhart called. <laughs> That's true. <laughs>
0: Barry, hey, you're doing my stuff, Barry, you know, and you're doing it better, oh, Barry, you're doing it better. Barry was doing very well, he was very wealthy, he had the uh, two tapes, one that played the outgoing message, <laughs> yeah. and then the second one that recorded the incoming message, <laughs> yeah. so there was that higher end one. Wow, you remember that. They, so I told they, my parents they, told so you, you start managing now full time, right, that's the gig, right, you're starting yeah, to do so that? Yeah, so
3: my first clients were like uh, Louis, uh, J. Moore, Chappelle, wow. um, who's got um, a good eye, yeah, <laughs> um, Tracy Morgan, Jim Brewer, Daryl Hammond. Um,
0: How are you securing all of these guys? I mean, all of it coming through names? New York or is this nationwide? Yeah.
1: Are you traveling or?
3: I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's my feeling is in business and you know, for all of your listeners, whatever business you're in, you just you just have established that you can do something really, really great one time and if you do something extraordinary one time somebody will give you the chance to do it again. And then if you do it again, somebody will give you a chance to do it again. And then if the word gets out, then you're doing it over and over and over again. And you know, I had four clients on SNL before I knew what I was doing. I mean, I, I, I really honestly, I was walking through the hallways of SNL with <laughs> cowboy boots and a, a ponytail and, you know, Bernie Brillstein, all these guys are walking through. Who the, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and, and there were meetings, you know, because I knew a lot of the people in the big management companies. And there were meetings, you know, they'd have staff meetings. Why the fuck does Barry Katz have four clients on the show and we don't? Like, how is that possible? Sure. And you're probably wondering, like, how, you know, you reach Lauren Michaels when nobody knows who you are. And it's always persistence. Yeah it's always persistence and there's a way of getting to people and there's a way of doing it that, and if you deliver once you get their attention, you just, the thing is you have to deliver once you get their attention. That's the biggest mistake that any actor, actress, comedian, or anybody makes, they'll send a person, they'll send me something and the video will be like a C minus. Maybe it's, Hey, look, maybe it's an A minus, maybe it's a B plus, but that's not good enough. You can't send out anything of yourself unless it's just like a grand slam. You just can't do it because there's too many things happening, and people need to see it that way. And that's the most important thing. Like I, I represented. Um, Here's an interesting thing. I represented Melissa Bien Senor, who's the newest, one of the newest cast members on SNL. Phenomenal. I represented her for eight years. She tested for the show twice. She didn't get it. Um, The first time she tested, I, you know, you it's it's all sales. Like so, you go to Lauren, and if Lauren were sitting right next to me or Marcy, they would say the same thing. You're you're trying to break through the clutter. You're trying to get their attention, and if they watch the video that you send them then you, you have to give them something that is so extraordinary that they have to look at it and, and tell people about it. So when I put the reel together for Melissa, with Melissa, who's amazing, wonderful person, <laughs> you're putting it together, and her resume is literally like a piece of copy paper. There is nothing <laughs> on the resume. There's nothing, there's not one thing so you're going to one of the greatest geniuses in, in the world of comedy and television, Lorne Michaels, and you're presenting them with a video of a person who has no, no experience, nothing, but what they have on that tape would blow anybody away a hundred times. And so he tested her, Marcy Klein and, and, and him tested her, and she tested, and, and we prepare. Like I'm a big prepare person, like Tracy Morgan. When I'll, I'll, I can tell that story later, but I really am about the preparation. So important. And so when she got to do the test, she wasn't. She just went and did it, and she did it great. And I'll never forget what she told me happened, which which I, I should have uh, thought about it afterwards, but. So she gets off stage, and how you test for SNL, you test on the stage where the host brings on the band, you know, that little thing, that little space there. And she finished, and what normally happens, nobody laughs, nobody does anything. Brutal. (laughs) Brutal. There's nobody, maybe a cameraman. Kind of like my set. Right. Three minutes, five minutes, how long? About five minutes, maybe a cameraman laughs or whatever. So she finishes. She's walking out, and she notices somebody walking towards her. It's Lauren Michaels. Wow. He goes up to her. He shakes her hand. And he says, "That was really, really great. Thank you." Wow. Now that never happened.
1: I was going to say that wow. must be yeah. unusual. Yeah, wow. That's rare. That alone would so be I'm, fine with.
3: So I'm thinking this is this is good news. But Lauren, of course, he's been in television 45, 50 years. He's very shrewd. He's very smart. He knows there's nothing on a resume. So he did something which I thought was really, really impressive as a producer. He called me and he said, listen, I love her. She's great. And Marcy called me and said, listen, uh, I want her to come back and test with the next group of people at the end of the summer. I want her to give me five new minutes and five new more characters. And so now she was faced with the fact that she had to create it's like it's like the B side of a record. Sure. Right. Or it's like when Tracy Chapman wow. puts out her first album. Yeah. You're like, holy crap! It's like this the is sophomore amazing. album, yeah. And so, but the next, you work ten years yeah. for that first album, and then you got to So she had you in two months create this oh. this audition for this, which was really good, but it wasn't the A plus. It right. couldn't possibly yeah. be yeah. that. And so she tested again, and she didn't get it and so and that was you know very traumatic but that but now then eight years later she got the show and and it just shows you you can't give up you have to have the persistence like the no to me the no to me has always been a temporary yes
0: because we were it's it's interesting about melissa i worked with her three years ago on new year's eve in seattle and she's very quiet kind of an introvert but yet you would always see on her facebook her instagram All these videos. Unbelievable videos. always throwing them up, always doing stuff. And, you know, we were talking here before you got here, Barry, and we were saying, like, it's amazing how now in 2018 you can almost set your own destination in a way that you couldn't before, where, you know, back when you started, back when you first started managing, The Tonight Show was the mecca. That's what you wanted to get on. You wanted to jumpstart your career with that. But we were just saying it's almost as though, you get on Joe Rogan's podcast, and that's almost better than a Tonight Show spot. I mean, would you agree with that?
3: I think uh, in terms of audio, yes, it is. Uh, I think Joe is like Joe is like the Saturday Night Live of podcasting. I mean, uh, I represent Owen Smith. He had Owen Smith on. It's like almost like life changed. Uh, it was incredible. And if he believes in you, it's incredible. And I started with Joe. And he was a great stand-up comedian in Boston. Really, really powerful. And, um, you know, he was just uh, a force there. Really, really was. And um, I have a lot of respect for Joe.
0: Because you look at, like, Melissa, who didn't have a resume, Powerhouse. right? Yeah. And just put together these videos over and over again and just worked so hard at her craft. Whereas you know other people, Patrick. I mean, like, we've been doing this long enough. Yeah. People just, even though they may not have success doing stand-up... <clears throat> even though they may not have (laughs) success doing stand-up. I'm glad we're not on on video. They keep doing it thinking that eventually maybe the improv will headline me or maybe this or that will happen. Instead of going out and trying to find something else, that might be a better fit. Why not go and try to get some acting gigs or commercial gigs? And then the clubs will start looking at you differently. But I think people are so on the straight and narrow that they're not expanding their options in terms of what else they could be doing.
1: Well, that's what you've done career-wise, too. It wasn't just stick to managing. Now you're producing. You're doing all this thing. Not to take us into another level of this, but uh, the no, diversification. No, business. and
3: I, f- I feel like that's good and bad sometimes because, like, I lo- look, I don't want to do one thing. But you know, Elvis Presley probably loved that Colonel Tom Parker did one thing. Um, I yeah, think take if half uh, of his money. <laughs> I think <laughs> if anybody's a, uh, if anybody's this is the weird thing about uh, management in any form, music, magic, comedy, whatever it is, it's like everybody wants somebody's full attention. They want them working on their careers every second of the day why wouldn't they but the reality is you have to be great in short periods of time so I always say like I need to be as good in five minutes as another person is in five hours and that's the way I want to be and when you talk about the persistence and what today brings uh, you know 25 years ago 30 years ago Carol Liefer had to audition 24 times for Jim McCauley in The Tonight Show before she got The Tonight Show. 24 times. Now that's persistence and not giving up and just getting up off the campus and keep going and knowing that you're funny. That's what you have to do. Today, people put up videos, but look, you put up videos that aren't funny, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. America and the world speaks. It'll tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And one of the things that comedy artists, it really is frustrating for me sometimes to see, because the evidence is all there. Okay, so if you just think about it, off the top of our heads, the most successful stand-up comedians in the world have one thing in common. If you think about all the names, just, just, just name anybody, let's just... We'll say Shanling. We'll Shanling, yeah. created and wrote his own show. Roseanne. Roseanne. Roseanne wrote her own show. Executive produced it. Caratop. Caratop decided to go to Las Vegas, and he's one of the most successful comedians in the world today, probably one of the most financially successful guys. But he couldn't make the show himself, but he helped write those three movies. And he there. created
2: that deal at, uh, at the Luxor.
3: That's right. And then he created the deal there. But the point I'm trying to make is that Chappelle... Shandling, Seinfeld, Seinfeld, Larry David, Chris Rock, you just D.L. Hughley, Jamie Foxx, Ellen. All took the next step. All of them wrote and created their own shows and their own. Aziz Ansari, um, Bill Hader, you know, all these people are doing it. And so but there's comedians out there thinking, okay, let me just wait. It's pilot season. Okay, if I can just get a pilot and it gets picked up, I'm I'm golden. I'm going to make it. It's great. And they don't sit down and they don't write their own vehicles. And that's the issue if you think about it. Look at Bill Burr. Yeah, Bill Burr uh, didn't get something created until recently with the animated show. And he became big because of a fluke, in in my estimation, and the greatest thing that ever happened to a comedian when the Philadelphia show. Right, which you yeah. talked about on Fraser oh, yeah. show. Amazing. And so and so and that was the moment where the world saw his talent. How great he was! America saw it, and they weren't seeing. And the world saw it, and they weren't seeing it before. But Bill, I believe he said something interesting one time about how. He did a show, and I think it was Chappelle that came up to him uh, after a show and said, "Listen, you know, you're you're great. You're gonna be you're gonna be really big. It's gonna take you longer the way you're doing it, but once you hit, you're gonna hit really really big." And and I think that's the thing is that people don't realize you just have to create. Now, granted, the biggest stars that don't create are what we're talking about are SNL. So Will Ferrell became big before he was a creator, um, Kristen Wiig big before she created, and you can go down the line, Eddie, Myers, M- Eddie, Murphy, Eddie Murphy, these people became big, and then my, maybe they wrote a movie that became big, but the fact is they had the launching pad before they had the right for themselves.
2: And uh, Barry, would you suggest to someone who is on their way up to, uh, to do that, to start uh, planning ahead and, and writing something for yourself? writing some other the thing options?
3: <laughs> the biggest thing I would suggest, because the technology is so cheap now and you can shoot stuff on iPhones. Like Owen Smith, who I mentioned, shot an entire hour special yeah. with iPhones. He bought 10 iPhones and then he shot the special and then he returned them the next day. <laughs> That's, so and cool. so, That's so cool. And so, but the thing is, is that what stops you from writing your own show and filming it and then if that doesn't work, and then you do another one, and if that doesn't work, you don't you do another one. I remember when I interviewed Judd Apatow for Industry Standard. I I took a risk because I I hadn't sit, sat down one in a long time, and I I sat down with him, and when the first time he sat down, he just sits down in the chair, and I start the cold open. And I say, when I think of you, and I look at you, Judd. I think a failure. That's <laughs> <Because laughs> a good open. Because he failed eight yeah. times in a row. He failed up. He failed yeah. forward. And so that's the thing. And so that's what a lot of comedians don't do. They don't They don't write. They don't create. They, they write their stand-up. But the thing about stand-up, and I think, Frazier, maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't agree, but technically speaking, on paper, when you think of the craft of stand-up, you let's say a writer writes 10 monologue jokes that are great monologue jokes for let's say Fallon or Kimmel and you just read them and you can just read every t- you know let's say he gives you his best 10 and each one you're reading and you're just laughing you're laughing out loud they're so good technically speaking it would appear That any human being who could get up in front of a crowd could just stand in front of the microphone and deliver these jokes the way we're reading them. But for some reason, there's some disconnect and real difficult challenges about delivering the material and getting huge laughs. We all know people who, I won't mention any names, who we know are extraordinarily funny and they go on stage and they have mediocre sets. And you're like, I can't, what is it? Why, why can't this person kill? I mean, they have a plethora of jokes, but it's about, it's like, it's almost like hockey in a way, and not to uh, uh, plug your- uh, well, Thanks for plugging our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck off. That's but, why you're a pro. But yeah. the thing is, is like comedy is like hockey. It's like a game of inches. You know, basketball isn't a game of inches. Baseball, believe it or not, isn't. You can still get a hit or do it. But hockey, you can't score unless it's just these seconds. It's like it just, the, everything has to be perfect to be able to make it happen and score that goal. And, and 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 comedy, it's this thing, this intangible that really no one can teach because it's like flexing a muscle and you just have to go on stage. And that's why when you look at and you also look at that list of the greatest comedians of our time, all of them never got their own show into syndication before 10 years of standup comedy. I'd say the Wayans brothers are the only ones that, and, and you know people might say they weren't doing comedy at the time, and they got syndicated on their show after being doing standup, I think Sean had done it for like five years or something like that. So it's very rare. Like Whitney had her show, you know, it didn't. It went two seasons. It didn't go because she hadn't been doing it that. long. Well, I remember calling George
2: Lopez and congratulating him on getting his the Lopez show, the first one on ABC, and he goes, "Well, I, yeah, after seventeen years, yeah, you wow. know," Overnight and then he hung success. up. And then no. he hung up on me. No. <laughs>
3: But, you know, it does take that body of work to... uh... Yeah, so think about anybody listening, like, you know, what you have to do. And, and, look, any doctor who's listening to this podcast will laugh at us. Sure. Because they have to put their 10 years in. A lawyer has to put tons of time in to be a great lawyer. You can't can't just do these things. And, and, you know, if you're a musician or a singer-songwriter, a lot of times we all know it's there's like a gift there's something that's channeled through you it's like a past lifetime like if you see like what is two or three years ago on America's Got Talent Grace VanderWaal she's standing there she's playing an ukulele and but her voice is just and she's really writing these songs well how does a 13 year old write these songs and beat everybody on the competition it's you know there's with music I think I could I think for some artists It comes naturally, and it doesn't have to be the 10-year plan. You can just – it just channels through you, and it just happens. It's
0: also interesting, too, because I remember when I moved to L.A., so many people – like, I remember seeing this management company, and I'm like, if I could be with them, I'm set. That's all I need to do is be with these guys. And then you would hear three weeks later people who were with them – Saying, screw those guys. They don't do shit for me. And then you realize, well, what are you doing for yourself? Right. You know, it is crazy. There's that, you know, dynamic between the two. Yeah, you know, it took
2: my doctor 15 years to get his TV show. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Dr. Ken. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I was going to ask you because, you know, looking at, I mean, your body of work and, and executive producing so many things, looking back at Last Comic Standing, who was somebody from all of those seasons that you thought. Was so great and a perfect fit for that show, but didn't quite jump over the rainbow. Who, who is there? Somebody that maybe sticks out.
3: That's a great question. There's always uh, amazing people who didn't get to where they I thought they could go. You know, Ralphie
0: May came in second. Ralphie could May, have been.
3: Yeah, um uh, he's and Ralphie May is a great example. Ralphie May. I mean, he was the guy we identified, Jay Moore, Peter Engel, who created Saved by the Bell and myself, we we executive produced at that time, and we we identified him as somebody who we wanted on the show and we believed could get on the show. He obviously had to get through the process, but on that finals night, he got a standing ovation in the middle of his set, and Dat Fan didn't, but Dat Fan won, and because, again... America has this thing where they tell you where you're supposed to be, and in that particular show, I think that hurt the show tremendously because it's not that Dad Fan's a bad person or that he's a horrible guy or a horrific stand-up comedian. America loved the story of this homeless guy who was right. like living in his car. And they wanted to root for the underdog. Ralphie was obviously the favorite and sometimes you root for the underdog and if you're voting, that's what happens. And so I think that hurt the credibility of, of the show. but Ralphie had a huge career because of it and and you know that was one of his biggest things that people always knew him for. And I think you know people like Amy Schumer got their start on. It. she finished fourth, I believe one year and And Gary Gullman, and there's so many others that.
0: Eliza. Gary's great. Eliza. Eliza, Well,
2: there's stories about the old Star Search, too, where whoever came in second made it big. Oh, Oh, there's a whole bunch of people that came in second that made it big. And, and, and it's
0: Trek. funny because you have uh, a new show coming out about Ralphie. Do you not? Is there a show?
3: I'm I'm working on something uh, about Ralphie May's life and uh, and his uh, his family and his struggles, and uh, it's 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 truly. Uh an amazing thing. I can't talk too much about it, but well, it's interesting.
0: I, I was really close with him. I yeah, you spoke with him. Yeah, you were. You uh, spoke, uh, I, sp- his, I spoke with him. you on tour with him too. I was on the road with him for a long time. Did Vegas with him for many, many years. Uh, close with his family, and I, I, re- I remember one one time we were in Vegas. He was playing the South Point Casino sold out three shows. That casino took great care of us. You could order anything. And, get that's anything. A, and just
3: so the audience knows, that's a 930 seat Crazy. room. Crazy. So I, he's I selling out almost 3,000 seats in, in Vegas.
0: Vegas. We were there the same weekend that Dat was working the improv at Harrah's, and I just remember hearing that the numbers were like, it was just weird. because I was working with him. You were? Yeah, that's why the numbers were low. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but was there somebody from Last Comic Standing that you thought, oh wow, I would have thought that this person with that platform, this environment would have just nailed it out
3: uh, robert kelly was one sure. that i thought was going to kill it and oh, yeah. uh, and uh, steve byrne is another one i yeah. thought was going to kill it and steve and did last comic standing he did he did last comic standing Oh, funny! Oh, i
0: did not know that yeah, i did not know watch
3: that watch will tell me he didn't but he the, doesn't yeah. he doesn't advertise yeah, yeah. that part um,
0: you know
2: one guy that blew up that that was really interesting was uh, felipe esparza yeah, yeah
3: and, oh and i i there's there's two people actually three but i'll just say two that i went to the first meeting of last comic standing and i had like a disc like a a dvd and you know those long tables where people meet those huge conference tables the size of rhode island and i remember that before the meeting started i'd click the dvd down it would spin around on the table and stop i'd say that's the person who's going to win this year and they'd be like, Barry, you don't have a vote. You don't. You can't vote. I had to sign a 66-page contract saying that I couldn't do anything with anything with it. But but Felipe Esparza and Josh Blue, I Josh told Blue. them we're gonna. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. I nice. told them we're gonna win the win wow. the contest, and they did. And they did.
0: I, is that show coming back at some point, or it's done? I'd say it's doubtful. Yeah, because there was a year, too, where they didn't even air the final, right? Like, was that the year Alonzo That's one? when Jay Moore went Jay on the Moore. radio
3: somewhere and said, uh, <laughs> you know, they said who the winner was. He said who the winner was, and then he said, I'm not doing the show anymore, which was really hard for oh, me, because I, I had to stay on the show, and uh, and he was off the show. And I was just I was just with him the other day, and uh, the stories, it's just you know, incredible. you
2: got to love Jay Moore, though. Incredible. Um, I mean, what the guy, a talent.
3: He's the guy who truly... I wouldn't be doing the podcast without him. I almost want to tell this quick story. Like, Go, please. So, so the reason why I ended up doing a podcast was he started his podcast on the night before. He calls me up. He says, Barry, I've got the podcast to mine. Like, I know, Jay, you got it. He says, listen, I want you to be my first guest. I'm like, Jay, I'm not I'm not an on ta I can't be a guest. I don't do that. I don't do interviews. I don't. He's like, be in my garage at 7. And I'm like, (sighs) so I do the podcast with him, and I finish it up. It feels great. We're talking about the business and the things that happen in his career, the good, the bad, the ugly. And the next day, he calls me up, and he says, Barry, uh, you're not going to believe this, but – our podcast was the number one podcast in the world that day. In the day. world, wow! And so it was four hundred and fifty thousand people that day, or whatever it was that uh, I forget what it was. And I'm like, that's that's crazy. And and I was the recipient, like the coattail writer of his thing. And then the next day he calls me. He says, Barry, the comments are coming in. It's crazy. I want you to do my third episode. I'm like, Jay, I'm not doing your third episode. It's not. Be at my garage at 7. <laughs> wow. And so I did the 3rd, oh. the 10th, the 18th, and before I knew it, there were 5 million people who would listened wow. to me and said, you should do your own podcast. Yeah. And Time I for was a against spinoff. The, yeah. And Jay was arguably the only person that was supportive of it and wanted me to go forward and do it. And when I launched with Doug Herzog, I'll never forget, the next day, a Tuesday, he was calling on the radio. Uh, he had his own radio show. And he called me and said, come down to... Uh, the radio station. I have to show you something, Jay. I'm like, I can't come down. It's like, Jay Barry. Come down. Come down. I can't be here at one o'clock. So I came down. He's behind the glass, and he finishes this thing like the radio people do. He takes his headphones off, waves me in, and he's got his laptop, and he's got the iTunes you know page on that has the ratings of the top podcasts, and he points, and my podcast was number three. In comedy, wow! And I like Jay. How how is that possible? He said, "I don't know, man, but embrace it. It's not going to be up this high all the time. It's going to fall, but this is a sign that you're doing what you're going to do, and you're always going to be in the top whatever 500, one percent, one one quarter." So, period. guys,
2: expect your numbers to soar. <laughs> <We'll take it. laughs> yeah, By the way, my,
0: my the very first one I heard of yours was with Robert Morton. Uh, and I met Morty when I was doing warm-up on the Dion Cole show. The executive the producer of Letterman. Yeah. yeah I've and known I'm, Morty forever. I met him, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the guy. And that was the first one that I had heard from you. And I remember, wow, this is a great kind of behind-the-scenes podcast of what the business is like. The, well, the
3: moment – I'm sorry, Frazier, but I'm going to let you talk. I promise I don't let you talk enough. That The moment in that podcast that was so – blew me away was when I asked him about you know that last day um and did he see anything coming and he said it was just a normal day like every other day and letterman just says come into my office which happened all the time and he sat down and letterman looked at him and just said we're gonna make a change we're gonna make a change morty and um we're not gonna we're not gonna need you anymore wow wow and, and it ends and And leave your key card, yeah, and that and that affected me so much, but what affected me even more was when I asked him, i said, well do you you know do you have you have you watched the show uh, since and he said, "I watch it every night, wow, he's wow. the king,, oh, man. he's the king, and so that's that's what I love about you know these stories is that you you can have those moments with these people and I, I look at my podcast as like and Fraser, you'll you'll probably say some wonderful thing about this, but I'll have to join the me too movement. But <laughs> here we go. When you sit down across from these people, it's like a it's like a, a love affair that for ninety minutes, it's like you you you're, there's the wheel stops in your head And the wheel stops in their head and it's this moment where you're you're free of all encumbrances and it's almost like relationships and I'll share with you why because a a guest has to feel safe at a certain point in time and sometimes they feel safe right away and sometimes it's five minutes before the end of the podcast. It's like almost when you're dating, there's gonna be the girl or guy who has a one-night stand or the girl or guy who goes on 10 dates and, and nothing happens till the 10th date. And so like, I'll have a podcast with Brody Stevens and within five minutes he's opening up about the most amazing things that you can ever imagine in his life. And then there might be somebody else like John Murray from Buena Murray, who created the the real world who you know you get this amazing story at the end that's just blows you away and that's how I feel about those things and Morty gave some great things and you learn a lot about the business and life and it's free and so well, you know, I, I, you mentioned dating. I have that experience with dating where um,
0: oh women
2: oh will say, "We're going to make a change." <laughs> I get that a lot. We're
0: going with another woman. Yeah, <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to make. It. But uh, by the way, but you still, as, watch, but every still watch every night. I still watch every night, Gary. As, Barry, as cause, we, cause I'm as a we head to the finish line, we could go for another three hours. Yeah. As we head to the finish line, just uh, today is a kind of a sad day for everybody we, with the passing of. Mitzi Shore, the legendary the comedy Mitzi Shore, yeah. What what was your relationship with her? What do you remember? If you have a great story about Mitzi,
3: well, I mean, I just interviewed Polly Shore, and um, honestly, I think it's it's you know my uh, relationship with Mitzi wasn't like a, you know I didn't have that strong a relationship, either one way or the other. But you know we knew each other. But I think the and the Shore family, but. I would always love um, this thing that Pauly said, and it's just so true, it's, there's this seat, if it, for those of you who don't know the Comedy Store, it, it has three rooms, it has the belly room upstairs for 80 seats, which, uh, which Dave Chappelle just shot as a Netflix special, oh, and wow. it has the big room that Richard Pryor and Roseanne shot their hour specials in and many others, and then it has the original room, or as they call it, the OR, which is this really dark room that I used to go in the 80s and watch Sam Kinison close the shows there. And as you walk in to that, from the hallway up these stairs, there's these seats that are like, they feel like uh, booth seats, but they're not. And they're across the back, and there's that first seat. And that first seat where Mitzi Shore used to sit and watch comedians and whether she was going to pass them or not and I think when I was interviewing Polly he said this thing, sometimes he walks in and he sees a comedian sitting in that seat and he almost wants to say, Hey, look, you know, that's, that's Mitzi's seat. That's Mitzi's seat. Yeah. That's the seat where she looked at people and said, whether you're past or not past. And, um, and it, it always gets me when I walk back that, uh, past that seat. And, and, and Polly said some amazing things about his mom and what happened there. And, um, the reverence he had for her and he was so sad that he couldn't have the kind of relationship that he had with her before and the comedians couldn't and that was an amazing podcast uh, from the comedy store so uh i remember so many things but i think i i remember him how he honored her in that show and he it's just uh, it is a sad day and i i believe it or not i'm driving over i didn't know until you mentioned it so it, it uh it oh wow it, yeah it really um well,
2: it, you know, I was hosting at the uh, store on Monday night, and uh, Bob Saget and Jeff Ross, uh, your good friends, stopped by, and they did a little tribute to Mitzi because they had gotten a text from Paulie saying that uh, it was close. And, uh, and what they said was brilliant because they had both been there in those heyday years and knew uh, all, all facets of Mitzi Shore. Uh, and she was a, a star maker. You know, she developed talent. She nurtured talent. She was scary because she could make or break you. She yeah. had that kind of power. And before you got to Carson, when we said that Carson was the arbiter of, of, of making it in the business uh, for so long, you had to go through her test first. Yeah, you had, to prove, what, you had to prove yourself. Yeah, before and she. And then the Tonight Show, uh, people would come and scout people at the store back then. So that's how they got to the Carson Show. And uh, she, if you look at the poster, the 20th anniversary poster from Comedy Store, over 30 major stars that she discovered
3: and she never asked for any money from them she never wanted anything from them she just wanted that space to and Sagitt, who was just on the podcast you, you talk about the power and you know she gave him she passed him right away he was working all these shows he was making a lot of money with her but then he said she had the ability to say something that would take him out of his game and make him think am i like he was doing a show in Vegas, they she did something in Vegas, a comedy store in Vegas, and he had a bad set, he had a really bad set. And, and this is when
1: he's known, he's on the show, he's yeah, on TV. He's not on TV Oh, yet. he's not on TV yet. And
3: okay. so he went backstage and Mitzi just looked at him and said, you are you lost it, Bob, you're not funny anymore. Wow, and, wow. And that crushed him and made him work harder, which I think was the inspiration of what she wanted. And he worked harder, harder on acting, and then he booked a Richard Pryor movie, and then he started hanging out and working with Pryor, and then he was back in the fold again. Maybe
0: I have the wrong idea, but that's why I don't play good rooms. I prefer <laughs> to do <laughs> shitty rooms with less pressure, Well, which is why I'm here today. <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I, we could talk for another three yeah. hours, and I, I would hope if we—we we would love to have you back if that is uh. even an option. We'll get that you a different be, flavored bun cake. Would we would love, love, honor, love to have you back. Color. Just you coming in, Barry, and just uh, talking to us, sharing these stories. I was inspired yeah, just that, of how lazy I've been over the yeah, last couple yeah, of years. unfortunately. Yeah. But, that's just, <laughs> but
3: again, that's just what you said, which everybody listening, should you hope for. You hope that when you do anything, whatever gig it is, whatever job, that when you're done, somebody says, will you come back? Will you come back? We'd like to have you back. It doesn't matter what it is, and it lets you know that hopefully you did what you were supposed to
0: do. Well,
2: plus, Barry has a
0: two-bunt cake minimum. That
3: is
2: true. <laughs> <laughs> we've, had, we've had
0: guests on it about three minutes in. We're like, how are we going to fill yeah, this yeah, time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time to play a lot of happens. music. Well, we want to th- say thank you so much, yeah. Barry, for Thanks, coming man. in. Thank you. Barry Katz, talent, industry, Comic legend. Yeah. He right is here show with us business. today. Yeah. Show business. And he check out business. Industry Standard. Yeah. Industry Standard. Uh, great one of my podcast. favorite podcasts. Yeah. Thank you so much, Barry, for thank coming you. in. Also, thank you to Fraser Smith. Well, I don't know. I just co-host. got a text
2: from uh, Bill Burr. He said, We're going to be making some changes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so. Fraser has his own show here on the All Things Comedy yeah. Network called Puck Off with one, one of our good friends, Joe, Bartnick, Joe Bartnick. Uh My good buddy, Patrick yeah. Keene. Thank you for being here as well. Thank we love great. it. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Byrne, who's in Las Vegas tonight. Working on his new hour special at the Rio, so if you're out in Vegas, uh, check him out at the Comedy Cellar. A great comic, by yeah, the way. Great, well, uh, good, on, a good fantastic. place to go see comedy. Yeah. A brand new room, the Comedy Cellar. Uh, but want to thank everybody for listening he's to also All Things Comedy. Yeah, and he's also Korean too. Yeah. And one more time, thanks to the wonderful Cats yes. for Barry Katz. Barry Katz,
3: thank you so much. Wow. guys. I appreciate it. All right,
0: for everybody here on the show, Patrick Keene, Fraser Smith, our guest Barry Katz, I've been uh, Gary Cannon. Thank you guys for listening to the Gentlemen's Dojo. Goodbye. Bye.